shitty version of it. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything. But... Yeah, it's like all candy. Hey, we're back. That was the Young Justice theme song because I couldn't think of another song to use today. And Young Justice is good, and it's coming back in a few days. So there. Um, hey, everybody. Yeah, welcome back. We're here again, Colby. Sophia. And uh, back for another episode of Vertigo Voices. We um, finished the Doctor Who episode. Well, I finished the Doctor Who episode, and that was fun. Got to watch the TV movie with Paul McGann. That, well, it was fun to listen to you guys. I need to go back and watch the movie now because, obviously, I, I didn't know what you guys were talking about. Well, like, like, like I said many times in the episode, that's not, like, that's not a starting point. <laughs> if you've never seen Doctor Who before, that movie is impenetrable and completely pointless <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense. Like it literally starts off with like, it was on Scaro and the master was assassinated. Like what the fuck is this? <laughs> Maybe not a good jumping off point. Like Ex- exactly. It was supposed to be, but it's failed miserably at that, but I like it a lot. Um, so yeah, go back and watch some doctor who, but just not, don't start there. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I got a little bit of news, not really news news, but shit to talk about. First thing, I think we both did this. We finished Midnight Mass. We did. Did you finish it? Okay. I finished it, yes. Yeah. Um, so Henry Thomas got young, which is why they cast Henry Thomas. Yeah. My, uh, oh, I'm such an old man with my old man back. Like, okay, well, there, there you go. But he's only young for like half an episode. So like, what's the fucking point? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure why they couldn't have just cast an actual older person and then had Henry Thomas portray him as he became young. Or, uh, I don't know, there's like a million other ways to do that. And it just, since there was so much uh, focus on like old man Henry Thomas, and again, you only see him young for half an episode. Most of it's shadowed when they're like running around at the end. So I just didn't, it seemed pointless. But I was just not a fan of the series as a whole. <laughs> I, in fact, probably like, I had like a, profoundly negative reaction by the end of it. I fucking hated it. <laughs> One of the things, and like, I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the storyline. You know, it's just, it's fucking Salem's Lot, vampires, religious community, whatever. I am over stories about questions of faith, you know? Mm. Like, I, I, I've seen a million stories about some, like a Catholic character questioning their faith or losing their faith or whatever. And that's this, that was that, but like on mass in this town <laughs> where it was constant stories about like, we'll just fucking trust in Jesus or whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> I, uh, I don't care. I don't care about any of that. Uh, the only character that I remotely cared about was the sheriff who was pretty underused and you know where his story's going from the very beginning. And I thought like, like it was an interesting idea of, like uh, a Muslim authority figure plunked down in this Catholic small town. Yes. That should have been the focus, and it was like the B or C plot. Right. So I don't know. I just didn't care about that. And my biggest issue with it, like all of that could be forgiven if it was an interesting story that was well told. My issue with it is that there's no fucking dialogue in this show. It's all monologuing. <laughs> whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. It, um, and it, yeah. <laughs> the, the tipping point for me was, what happens when we die? That scene where the main character, who then gets killed immediately after, um, <laughs> is sitting on the couch with the director's wife. Mm, That's, yeah. she's in all of his stuff because she's the director's wife. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Uh, they're sitting on the couch, and she just found out that she had a miscarriage. So she's like, what happens when we die? And he launches into, like, a 15-minute monologue about what ha- what he thinks happened when he dies. And we just rot in the earth because there's nothing. And then I'm like, okay, all right, moving on. And then he's like, what do you think? <laughs> I'm like, god damn it! You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, here's what I think happens, but I'm going to talk about my baby because my baby's the one that died, not me, and blah, blah, and this is what I think. I'm like, ah, stop. <laughs> And then the the coup de gras is um, at the very end of the series when she's dying. It's replayed. Yes. Oh <laughs> my still, god. She still has time to monologue, even though she's got her blood stuck. <laughs> and that, like, her death took fucking forever. Like, it's all drawn out so she can cut the devil angel's wings. I don't know. That's so frustratingly annoying. And I just, I don't know. I I fucking hated it. There was some decent camera work and like some some solid direction and some really good acting but i was completely turned off by just the story and the way it's told to the point where like i would not give something like that one star like that's not that's not a one star show but i gave it one star because i fucking hate it so much. understandable and I, but i also completely understand why people would love that like, if I was a high schooler in Catholic school like I was all those years ago and, like, questioning my faith, then I may I may get sucked into that storyline a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm a, I'm a grown-up now. I know how the world works. I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> it's very frustrating to me. And it had, like, that, that overly religious woman who was, like, running the church. Yes. That's a trope I've seen a million times. Yes. And, like... Mm-hmm. I think it was, was it Marsha Gay Harden who had that role in The Mist? Yes. Absolutely. And, like, you can't beat that. No. So, fuck this. No. <laughs> watching, uh, watching Toby Jones shoot her in the head, like, that's that's <laughs> that's the best thing in the world. It was very satisfying, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I know we were going to talk, in our next episode, we were going to talk about scary movies for the season, but I feel like this turkey needs to be toasted now. And um, again, I get I get why everybody likes Mike Flanagan, but I feel like, and uh, upset some fanboys here. I feel like he's um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Shamalizing himself. What? Um, <laughs> dude that wrote the Sixth Sense. I can't oh, remember. M Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan, yeah. A sh- I thought you were using a uh, <laughs> like a uh, verb that I was not aware. Of. Like Shamalizing. What's that? <laughs> Like, Sounds delicious. <laughs> it's a verb now. But like you remember when, of course, Sixth Sense came out, everyone was so excited about that movie. It was really good. What is this guy going to do next? And um, then, of course, he, I think he got wrapped up in his own, his own hype. And all of his movies started to kind of become the same. And well, it's, he, all, it's all about the twist. Yes. Well, and, and that's, I feel like that's kind of happening with Mike Flanagan here. Like, um... There was the twist at the end where we find out that, oh my gosh, all this time, the priest um, and the doctor's mom, that's her dad. Yeah, oh my god. Um, and it really wasn't surprising. It didn't add anything to the story. Yeah. Um, it's not like, who gives a shit? Right. right. <laughs> and if anything, like this, this need to look at all sides of an issue, like all of a sudden, this man is not is not someone who's been poisoning his congregation for the whole series. It's like, oh, well, I just wanted to bring this back so, like, you know, I could have another chance with my wife and daughter. And it's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, the, 
the fucking reveal of him being the old priest the whole time. Like, yeah, I figured that in the first episode. Right. All this talk of, like, ooh, the old priest, he can't be here because he's sick. <laughs> like, yeah, it's the same. I mean, come on. <laughs> we know. <laughs> you don't have to drag that out as long, you fucking idiot. We all got it. Exactly. Um, and I even don't mind, like, I, I was ready to deal with the monologues if I thought that the end would have some type of complex summation of the of the issues they were talking about. But no, it totally ends on a um, uh, pretty much a Judeo-Christianity approach. You have the whole town like pulling a Titanic where they all stand together and sing Nearer My God to Thee. <laughs> um, it's just, I don't know. He's got this thing where he seems to think that all of his stories have to end on this note of hope and love. And that worked in Hill House. It worked great yeah. in Hill House. But it doesn't always work with what he's doing now. And it didn't work with Midnight Mass, I don't think. When it's a, you know, like it's a fucking horror movie or a story, whatever. Like horror doesn't always have to be redemptive. No. Just let it be horrific. Right. <laughs> it's usually the point of horror is to, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but to like break away the preconceived notions and the societal illusions that we have about shit. Um... And again, worked out perfectly in Hill House. I feel like that ending was very deserved and it wrapped things up nicely. But I don't know. It's like you you can't take, well, at least you can't take this viewer along for, you know, eight episodes and then wrap it up with this very Hallmarkish. Anyway. But what happens when we die? <laughs> yeah, I, like about halfway through it, I was like, I'm not going to end up liking this, am I? Like, God damn it. I'm just, I was waiting for that turn when something interesting would happen and then nope. But yeah, I really good cast. Everyone was was a great actor in it. Um, right. The direction was competent. Uh, although that scene on the beach with all the dead cats and the seagulls, yeah. Remember? So like the seagulls are all fucking CGI. They are. Um, none of their shadows like crossed the people, which <laughs> I, didn't I was that. immediately like, God, ah. <laughs> and like eight seagulls. Because then once I notice that, then I'm I'm not looking at the actors anymore. I'm just staring at the background, trying to figure out <laughs> the sea. So like eight seagulls did the exact same like wing flap. They'd be like, bah, 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 like, and then they put their wings back down. And then like I would just scan the background. Then all right, where's that one seagull movement? Oh, there it is. <laughs> and there it is. Oh, there it is again. <laughs> I found you. It's like fucking birdemic for God's sake. Oh no. Oh. CGI. Well, because like, once you once you see that, once you notice that special effect or any special effect, then it sticks out. Right. And it's no longer a part of the movie, it's a special effect. Right. <laughs> you, you can't unsee it. Yeah. On the complete opposite of that, oh, I left my TV on. On the complete opposite end of that, I've been watching Hellraiser 2. So I noticed. I just wa I watched the first Hellraiser yesterday, so, uh, which has just, you know, mind-blowing special effects that looks like that's that's a skinned person. That's right. not That's not a prop. That is a skinned human being. And, and when, when did that movie come out? Uh, I think 88. And it still holds up today. Yeah. I think the first Hellraiser was 87. Um, I'm going to be running the franchise for uh, for my Halloween movies. Um, anyway, Midnight Mass, I did not like it. But I do know a lot of people that did. Um, you're idiots, but I don't blame <laughs> you for it. It's, it's a, well, I think, again, like people are still 
caught up on that feeling of newness with Mike Flanagan. Like, oh, it's he's so exciting and he's so provocative and da 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 da. Fresh young voice. Yes. His fresh young voice has been aping Stephen King his entire career. <laughs> <laughs> and in some cases, it's worked very well. I'm not going to say it hasn't, but yeah, it's getting kind of stale. Okay. Um, I, I've still got a couple other news things. I'm just going to go through them in order of what I think we'll be talking about the most. Uh, I saw Venom 2. Oh, yes. Huh? Uh, for better or worse, it's a lot like the first one, <laughs> which means I don't really give a shit. Um, I, the Venom movies in general, like, I don't like them, but I don't really care. Like, I'm not passionate about my hatred of them. Because, like, they're, they're easy to ignore. Right, right. And they don't really impact the larger Marvel movies, so, like, whatever. They can, they can be dumb and their own thing. Um, because it's not, it's not like X-Men 3, where it, like, bombed a franchise. <laughs> and especially a franchise that I really cared about. Uh, and so, whatever. It's, it's fine. Uh, it's making a shitload of money. It actually made more in its opening weekend than the first movie, and that was pre-pandemic. Wow. So, like, yeah, it's, like, movies are back, man. <laughs> the fucking theaters are back. That's good, but... Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, so whatever. I mean, it's fine. My, my biggest complaint with it is just the title, mm-hmm. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It's a really fucking terrible title, <laughs> especially because this movie directly adapts and uses plot elements from the comic book and video game Maximum Carnage. So it should have just been called Venom Maximum Carnage. Better that, title. That would have been cool. Yeah. I mean, Captain America's not... Someone was your phone. I mean, Captain America's not in it, obviously. Uh, and there's, a, like, the other superheroes from that storyline aren't in it. But other than that, it it it, it uh, borrows most of that plot. So, whatever. Um, it's directed by Andy Serkis. Oh, really? He directed and, it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um... It was, it was, I don't know, it was fine. It was really fucking short, though. I feel like, I feel like someday there's going to be a director's cut. I kind of feel like, well, the, the first one, um, uh, I watched it and I thought to myself, like, I, if I was a teenager, I would have loved this. And it, because it felt like, you know, a bad comic book movie from, you know, the late 90s, 90s early yeah. aughts. Yeah. Like, trying to hide the fact that it was a comic book movie. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't find them particularly... Uh, offensive or exciting one way or the other. They just kind of are. And I'll probably see the second one when it comes to streaming. Uh, The other thing, so uh, other movie thing, I was, was that Thursday I went to the movies to watch No Time to Die, the Bond movie. I wanted to ask you about that. Which I liked it a lot. Uh, It was one of the better Craig movies. And it did a few things that I've never seen in a Bond movie before. So I was pleasantly surprised. One of the things that I really liked about it, and they, they were saying this during Spectre, during like the lead up to Spectre, like Daniel Craig's final Bond movie. Well, this one like actually has a note of finality to it. There's like a feeling that this is the end. He's done. Um, yeah. So I, you know, the universe is big enough that they could keep going with this storyline, but I'm, I mean, it's all primed for a reboot now. So. Um, but anyway, I'm, so I'm watching, sitting there watching it the, during the opening 45 minutes of commercials and trailers and shit. Uh, there was a trailer that opens with Jessica Chastain saying like, do you know about it, uh, George Washington's first female spy? They didn't give her a name, but a number, Agent 355. And I was like, hey, that's funny. And then uh, there's this trailer for this movie about uh, like these female spies called The 355. 
I'm like, hey, look at that. Agent Agent 255 from Why the Last Man. <laughs> it stars Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Diane Kruger, Penelope Cruz, Fan Bingbing, Sebastian Stan, Edgar Ramirez. Great and then some people I don't know. Uh, but yeah, and it's directed by Simon Kinberg, who directed uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Yeah, X-Men Dark Phoenix. And he wrote like a handful of the X-Men movies. But it was it was very surprising to me to see the three fi- like you know that number for me is always going to be connected to why the last man, even more so than the true historical person. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting concept. I hope uh, I hope Kimberg doesn't screw it up. Yeah. Hey, he probably will. <laughs> I, I regardless, I didn't hate Dark Phoenix. I think X three is markedly worse (laughs) but oh of course in every conceivable way x3 is worse than dark phoenix it's uh (laughs) it's not great i mean it's not one of the better x-men movies but i i watch it actually no never mind that was apocalypse i rewatched apocalypse a couple weeks ago and i was like this is fucking great why do people hate this i haven't watched it since probably theaters Mm -hmm. and i was like this is so much fun like this is a fun action superhero romp and it's probably just because i haven't watched an x-men movie in ages but i i really enjoyed it <laughs> i i confess i haven't watched apocalypse yet i don't know why i just haven't got around to doing it well, everyone hated it when it came out but everyone hated dark phoenix too so maybe, maybe if i wait another year and watch dark phoenix i'll love it as well <laughs> you can turn the tide yeah. uh my other bit of news is oh i deleted that um, this last weekend, not the weekend we're in, was the Lilac City Comic Con. And, uh, it was uh, good to be back at a convention. You know, I haven't been to one for two years, thanks to COVID. Uh, but I, I went there, uh, had a panel with my friend Brian and this filmmaker named Caden Butera. We uh, discussed comic book movies and kind of the the state of them currently and the uh, future of them. And we this is a panel that we did a couple years ago too. And I was like, kind of like, I don't know, not nervous, but just kind of like, eh, there's not gonna be anyone here for this because <laughs> like I, I had no idea what the attendance size was gonna be like. And Bear and I were hanging out earlier uh, at the beginning of the con. You know, we got there at like nine in the morning. And so it was totally empty when we got there. And then when the floodgates opened and all the people came in, like, holy shit, there's a lot of people here. Because <laughs> it was either, my thinking was it was either going to be nobody's going to come to this because of COVID, or there's going to be a huge influx of people because everyone wants to go to a con. And there was a ton of people, a ton of cosplayers, a ton of costumes, and everyone was wearing a mask. Like, it was, it was really... I don't know, it felt like, felt like a good old con from the old days. Because, as I've said before, I fucking hate fans. I hate fans, <laughs> yeah. I hate fandoms, I hate everything. The only, uh, the only caveat to that is that I love conventions. Because conventions is everything that I love about these properties, and none of the toxicity. <laughs> Beautiful thing. It's like when you're forced to be face-to-face with people, then you connect on what you like instead of what you hate. Exactly. Whereas the internet, it's all about what you fucking hate. Exactly, yes, yes. And it's so easy to be a dick to people yeah. through a keyboard. And so just seeing all these people that were that were enthusiastic and happy, like, man, this is going to be fucking awesome. And then uh, and then I went to a few panels. I went to one about uh, John Heater, 
the star of Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah. Um, he was there. He did a panel talking about his career. Dude, that guy knows how to play a room. Really? Like, he, he, it was, like, going into it, I was thinking, he either hates this role or it's the only thing he'll talk about, you know? And every single question that somebody asked him, he answered it like Napoleon Dynamite. You know, he's like, <laughs> God, you idiot! <laughs> and uh, he was just having a blast, joking around. He did, he did some of the little dance from that movie that he does at the end, you know? Um, he was just firing on all cylinders. And one thing he said that stuck with me, somebody asked him who would he cast to play Napoleon in a reboot. And... His answer kind of blindsided me, and then I was like, oh, my God, I see it. He goes, uh, Taylor Swift. And we were like, what? He goes, yeah, Taylor Swift has this, does this thing where in photos where she'll kind of, like, have her mouth half open. And he goes, she looks exactly like me when she does that. <laughs> and I was like, in my mind, I was, like, running through images that I've seen of Taylor Swift. And then, like, one click, and I was like, holy shit, he's right. <laughs> and he goes, I've never found her attractive in my life because every time I see a picture of her, I think, is that me for a second? <laughs> <laughs> and the audience just like went crazy for that. Like, yeah, Taylor Swift looks like John Heater. So <laughs> now I can't unsee it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then like our panel was preceded immediately by James O'Barr, the creator of The Crow. Oh yeah. And um, I, I I was sat in that, and it was it was very interesting. But there was like three people in the audience. No. Yeah. So I was like, "Fuck, we're not going to get anyone if James O'Barr only has this many people." Um, he did have some really interesting insights on the current state of adaptations, and you know how like uh, I talked about this a few months ago with uh, Ed Brubaker. Um, getting pissed off at Disney for using Winter Soldier. And he's like, oh, I did that. Like, well, you didn't. <laughs> um, he, uh, he had some interesting comments about that because he was like, you know, everyone gets into comics because they want to draw Superman and Batman and Captain America and Spider-Man. Like, they want to draw these major characters that they grew up with uh, and then they get hired and then don't like it. Mm. And he goes, because here's the thing, when you're working for someone like Marvel or DC, you're hired to build a house, they hire you and say, build this house. You build it, and it's done. They pay you whatever whatever you got paid for, and then you move on. He goes, well, if you do that, if you build a house and then come back to it five years later, and this house that I built for $500,000 is now worth $10 million. Where's my $10 million? He's like, well, you can't do that. That's not how it works. You built it. You got paid for your work, but you didn't create the idea of the house. No. You just put in your, your time, and now you're done. And he's like, that, that's, that's why uh, there's creator-owned comics. And he's like, that's, I saw that back in the 80s. That's why I created The Crow. I got to have my own character that I created. And he goes, guess what? I still own The Crow. I still get money from the original movie, from the sequels, from all the licensing. So he's like, you know, you can't, you can't really complain about being a cog in this machine when that, that's what you wanted to do. Right. And like, right, you, yeah. if you didn't create something, you can't retroactively claim rights for it exactly and so i just thought that was really interesting because that's that's an artist in the industry saying that when all the other artists in the industry are trying to get paid for their you know stuff and i totally understand if you are the creator getting fucked over because god knows plenty of comic creators who created characters have been just look at you know jack kirby right um but it's just it, it seems odd to me that then people who wrote new stories with old characters where they're trying to claim some creator rights. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work. Like you said, yeah. but anyway, it was, uh, it was a very interesting panel, even though it was sparsely attended. 
And so then when it was our turn, um, I didn't do any planning going into this. And it was, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Uh. And I was like, fuck it, man. There's going to be three people in there. Let's just have a conversation. Just the three of us. And if people have questions, they can chime in. So we got up there, and as we are sitting down, the hall, like, started to fill. And it was like, I don't know, a third. I mean, we were in the main hall, which is huge. And it was probably a third to a half full. Um, nice. Probably, I don't know, 50 to 100 people. Um, and uh, got some really good questions. Caden, uh, who's a filmmaker who made a, a Moon Knight short film a couple years ago that actually got pretty, pretty uh, quote, famous because of that. Um, like, it got... It got noticed by Marvel, uh, and it got, like, written up in sci-fi and all that stuff. So, anyway, he was kind of talking about his experiences and talking about new movies. And uh, we got one really fun question from somebody in the audience who was dressed like Miss Minutes from Loki. <laughs> and uh, she asked us, she's like, you know, you guys have talked a lot about originality and things that you, uh, like, tropes that you want to see die and all that. And she's like, but what are some tropes that you like? I was like, God, good question. Because, you know, tropes aren't inherently bad. No. Um, That's just a part of storytelling since the dawn of storytelling. So I was like, you know, one thing, I don't know if it's a trope or not, but, man, I I fucking love a Stan Lee cameo. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, yeah, me too. (laughs) I was like, one of of the tropes that I always love is, like, when the the team comes together, you know, like, like, oh, we're all disparate pieces of a hole but we don't like Thor's good at hitting stuff with his hammer but he doesn't like Iron Man <laughs> but then when they all come together in the end and fight together like I fucking love that um, and I also use the example of Captain Marvel like powering up at the end of that movie like I love it when the, the hero finally reaches their full potential <laughs> the zenith of their powers yeah. but it was, it was a really fun positive panel uh, we talked about upcoming things that we liked or things that we'd recently seen that we liked and then upcoming movies that we were excited for and shows and all that. Uh, just, I mean, the landscape of comic book media has changed so much in the last year and a half. A, because of the whole theater issues, but then streaming is huge. I mean, look at Disney Plus and right. all of the content that it's been ch- uh, churning out with Loki and What If that just wrapped up. and Those are making huge numbers. So, I don't know, it's just a, an interesting shift. I'm so sorry I missed that. I think that would have been a great talk. Yeah, it was fun. Well, do it again next year so I can come. Uh, speaking of the Comic-Con, I also, uh, I just, I, my biggest thing about cons is the art. I love meeting artists and talking to them. And I stumbled upon this one stall uh, or an artist that I grabbed a couple of things from. Uh, he made this lovely Sandman picture of oh, Wesley Dodds. That is lovely. And I got another one of Swamp Thing. Cool. And I, I picked them up, and he's like, you want me to sign them? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he goes, uh, what, what color do you want? I'm like, how about red? Because they both have red eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. What's his name? Uh, something Jorge. I can't remember his first name. Well done, Jorge. Uh, yeah, he was, was a good artist, and it was fun to talk to. I also went to the booth of my friend Kelly, who has a company called A Dragon Wing Creations. She makes uh, dolls and uh, other things, like needle-felted dolls. Actually, you yes, have one. I do. Mazakin. I do, yes. Yeah. And then I, I've got a whole collection of them. But uh, last, at the last con, I asked her to make me a John Constantine. So he's up on my wall of John Constantine art. Um, and this time I got the cast of Gravity Falls, the animated series. So my daughter loves that show. 
So I got her the cast of Gravity Falls, and then I also got Vasquez from Aliens. Because really? <laughs> a little smart gun and everything. It looks fucking oh. awesome. Oh, yeah, she made a flurkin last year. <laughs> you gotta um, show it to me later. Yeah, she's a great artist. And they're all just sitting over there, but I'll get them later. But yeah, she's a great artist, and uh, I would highly suggest checking out her Facebook, A Dragon Wing Creations, and ordering some of her stuff. Because okay. I fucking love it. I have I've got a whole bunch. I have... The first one I ever bought from her was Comic-Con many years ago. I bought uh, Yondu. Mm-hmm. I actually asked her, like, would you make me a Yondu? <laughs> <laughs> and then that same con, I bought a, uh, a Bendy character for my daughter. It's her favorite weird <laughs> ink demon. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I've got, uh, like, Cyclops and Wolverine from the X-Men movies. I got uh, Scarlet Witch and a Vision a couple years ago. And yeah, yeah, great artist, and I always look forward to seeing her stuff. Support. Yeah. Oh, fuck, we're already half an hour in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we had lots to talk about. I'll save my Sandman discussion for next time. Well, not discussion, but my... Oh, wait! Fuck, I forgot! I got a... Uh, Colby Has Issues, finally. <laughs> Brand new Colby Has Issues. It's been a while. More issues. Yeah, so these are... Uh, my Colby Has Issues this week. These are two new issues that came out, I think, just a week apart. It's the weird Vertigo crossovers. Number one was Sandman, Lock, and Key. Uh, that second issue just came out. And the first issue came out like five or six months ago. <laughs> so it's still happening. I had forgotten. But yeah, Sandman, Lock, and Key, number two. And the next one I got was Batman versus Bigby. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> finally came out. Uh, a Wolf in Gotham. Yeah, I am very curious about this book. Like, it just seems a weird... I I am tired of Batman. I could, <laughs> I could give a fuck what Batman's doing. Um, so I'd rather just see Bigby go off his own adventure. But whatever. I had to pick it up. Uh, you haven't read it yet or you have? No, I have not. Okay. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I haven't finished Fables. So I feel like I need to do that before I dive into this shit. <laughs> Which I say shit, but it's by Bill Willingham. So I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> it's good shit. <laughs> yeah. Entertaining uh, at least. Yeah. And so anyway, I I guess we're all done with that shit then. We need to go on to the next thing or else we're going to run out of time. Uh, So we're going to talk about Flinch. It's the holiday, the uh, Christmas, the uh, (laughs) Halloween holiday season. So we're going to talk about Flinch. Flinch is a 2001 American crime thriller written, directed, and produced by Cameron Van Hoy. Starring (laughs) Daniel Zavato, Tilda Cobham Hervey, Kathy Moriarty, Buddy Duress, and Tom Segura. <laughs> the film tells the story of a young hitman who falls for a girl who witnesses him commit a murder. Unable to bring himself to dispose of her, he takes her home and quickly learns that there is more to her than meets the eye. She's a transformer. <laughs> uh, the film had a limited theatrical release on January 15th, 2021. It went on to be digitally released in February of the same year on Prime Video, Google Play, and iTunes. It was also released on DVD and VHS on the same date. Huh. VHS? (laughs) That's what Wikipedia says. The film holds a 50% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes from eight critics. The end. And that's it. We're done. I give it a vertigo. (laughs) Thank you for coming. (laughs) Yeah, well, um... I, I prepared for something totally different. So. <laughs> yeah. No, we're actually talking about Flinch, the comic book series by a lot of people. Um, I, I just, I 
just found out there's a movie called Flinch, so I had to make that joke. <laughs> Fair enough. I had no idea. You learn new things every day on this podcast. Well, not every day, but whenever we put out an episode. Yeah. So, yeah, Flinch was a comic book series, an anthology uh, from 2016. Or, Jesus. Ran for 16 issues from 1999 to 20... 2001. 20 doesn't sound right when you're doing that. 2001. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, like, everyone who was big in Vertigo and DC at the time wrote a story in Flinch. So many writers, so many artists. Yeah. Um, but we are talking mostly about book one today. Well, I don't, I don't have it in graphic novel form, so... I just have a single issue, so I don't know what this book one deal is. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> the first chunk of Flinch. <laughs> Although I looked at yours and it said it went through the eight, issue eight, which I only read through issue six. I was planning on just hammering out the entire series, but I had a shitty week, so I didn't. <laughs> and there you have it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's a great series. Uh, each issue has three horror shorts. And technically speaking, I feel like you could consider the cover of each issue to be a fourth story. I think so, too. Because the cover never has anything to do with this, the content within it. But it's always just got a very interesting and provocative cover. Right. And, I, and the issue... So issue one of Flinch has... I don't know. This cover is just seared into my retinas from seeing this at a young age as an ad in a comic or something. Just this pale dude with like surgical dots all over him as he's holding his eyelid open and drawing a dot or drawing a surgical line around his eye and like implying that there's going to be some pretty, some pretty serious body modifications coming on very <laughs> soon with his own hand. And there's like, there's, there's a weird sense of humor, but also like, like dread <laughs> and just anticipation. <laughs> exactly yeah you know some horrible shit is about to go yeah. down but you can't look away and just everything about from his like chalky skin to his weird black fingers like like his fingers look like they've been well used yes, <laughs> yes. the man is not healthy let's put yeah. it that way and it's just it reminds me of uh the characters in sandman from necropolis lethargy there's that whole culture in sandman that their life revolves around death and like yes. funerary rites and all that and uh, they come in during, oh Christ, what's it called? Uh, I think they're in a World's End, and they come back during the wake. And there's a whole spinoff series, uh, Sandman Presents Petrifax is all about them too. Oh. Um, but anyway, uh, I just I love that cover. Issue two, I believe the cover's by Corbin, Richard Corbin. It looks like Richard Corbin. You know what? It's Richard Corbin. Let's go with that. <laughs> it is. Okay. I was right, and that's that's just a great. Spooky cover. Um, I don't know. It is. Skeleton, a kid, whatever. Issue three, the cover's by Sue Ko, which uh, creepy skinned animals following around a woman with a fur coat. Right. Yeah. And again, no story like that in the book. But, but all of these have this weird sense of a story to them. You know? They do. Uh, the next one, what, issue four is... Uh, a uh, dude that whose like head is starting to burn ever so lightly while he's like sitting in a, a row of chairs while the chairs next to him are already on fire with some flaming shoes, like <laughs> implying that he is about to, about to get toasted. Issue five is by Tim sale. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, nice kind of like sin city esque woman 
uh, just clearly committed a murder. Nice gory bag. Yeah, blood stands out against <laughs> yeah. the black and white. And issue six, this one was like fucking weird, man. This one, this one gets me. It's like a little kid playing pirate, sitting on a gravestone, holding a, a pirate head, like making a little Jolly Roger out of it, or a skull, I guess. Yeah. Making a little Jolly Roger out of it with a big pile of gold peeking out of a dead body's rib cage. And just the look on his face, like he's content, but <laughs> there's some sinister weirdness going on there. I don't know. It's great. That covers by Kent Williams. Always something about creepy children. Yeah. So, I don't know. So there's three or three stories in issue. Three, six, nine, twelve. So I read 18 of them. You read what? 24? Yes. About roughly. 23, uh, 24. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. So let's let's start with what was your favorite story of the bunch? Oh, I was going to ask you that first because I'm still having a hard time picking. Well, I have two. Um, the first one, which is also the first story in the series, was Rocket Man. Huh? So we talked about when I first pitched Flinch ages ago to our listeners. Um, it's written by Richard Burning sorry, Bruning, with art by Jim Lee. And it's just a fucking weird, intense story. So, like, it's it starts, like, very hopefully with this guy that's building a rocket in his garage. Like, he's gonna, he's gonna show his family that all his hard work has finally paid off and blah, blah, blah. As he's building this, uh, you know, like, like, rocket pack. And then it ends with him gathering his family up and like, you know, I'm going to be a better dad now and I'm going to be a better husband and I finally got what I needed out of my life and he takes off into the sky and he's so happy that his family are cheering him on and yeah, I did it. And then like it cuts, like snaps back to reality and you realize that that last, the takeoff is all, uh, I don't know, a vision or an imagination Mm -hmm. and that he actually just exploded in front of his family (laughs) and killed his wife, destroyed his his house and that his kids won't live through the night. Yeah. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Maimed and mutilated his family. And then it ends with like the cops being like, yeah, what do you think would drive someone to do that? Like, I don't know, man. Maybe it was a terrorist or whatever, like building (laughs) bombs. Just the way that, that, like, you know, once you're dead, uh, someone else gets to write your story. The end. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I think the ending line is something like, he must have had his head in the clouds. (laughs) (laughs) But the art in there is, uh, I really like the way that they drew the characters' facial expressions. Cause it's kind of sad because, like, the daughter is so enthusiastic yeah, and supportive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, the way that they draw the wife and the son, they're both like, yeah, we've heard this before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My other favorite comes from issue four, and it's the second story in issue four by Ty Templeton. Uh, he does the art and the writing for it. It's called Fair Trade. Yes. And so this guy trying to sell his soul <laughs> to uh, a demon for love, you know, and he does the incantation and drinks the blood or whatever and does the fucking thing. The demon comes like, oh, so what do you want? He's like, I want, I want a true love. He's like, all right, perfect. And then like before it can be finalized, like another demon pops up. And he's like, hey, uh, just so you know, we, we recently had some restructuring and some like <laughs> some monopoly busting so uh like you, you want to listen to my pitch not only can i give you true love but also like uh, as much money as you can imagine and someone else another demon pops hey wait a minute not only that but i've got have i got the pitch for you man and he's suddenly like this guy is surrounded by demons like what about me what about me and there's that little snake that pops up is like have a free cable <laughs> yes 
I just I love the idea of the like business world creeping into hell. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. this antitrust. Yeah, exactly. And it just ends with the guy saying like, uh, what "Was it something like what? What you? How many channels you say?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's the snake too. He's yeah. like, "We got HBO." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever, and the drawing is is. Yeah, I don't know how you describe it. It's it's very cartoonish. Yeah, it's just it's Ty Templeton. That's his style. It's all cartoony and goofy, but also a bit horrific. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He did the art on. No, never mind. I'm thinking of Philip Bond. Excuse me. But yeah, uh, the, I think those two are my favorites. There was one that I like. I finished reading it, and I was like, "Was that? Was that good?" <laughs> uh, so it was by Garth Ennis and Kieran Dwyer. It was in issue three. It's called uh, Satanic. Yes. And so it's like the story of Titanic. And like (laughs) Ennis says in it that he wrote it after having a dream, after watching Titanic. And it's like just literally the story of Titanic, but uh, all the rich people uh, ritualistically murder and eat the poor people on the Titanic and have this big like hell orgy. And then the ship crashes into... Satan or whatever coming up out of the water, and then the survivors are all sitting around saying, "We're just going to tell everyone it was an iceberg." <laughs> good, idea, good idea. And it was one of those like that's like funny and clever and everything, but like that was also like those are real people. Right. <laughs> so like, is that is that okay to do that? <laughs> and it's extremely dark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, again, that's that's Garth Ennis. That's kind of his thing. So I can't imagine that series or that series that story like flying today. Probably not. Probably not, no. I do think he did a nice little jab towards the movie at the end, because I think the Mm. the last panel is the guy who has his head knifed to the door. Like the the door that Jack and Rose. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was just thinking the last line of it is like, but hey, no Celine Dion song. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That too, that was good. (laughs) So, yeah, there's there's lots of, um, even if you don't like some of the stories, you can't deny that they really win. Yeah. I think my least favorite one, and I really wanted to like it because of the team, was Maggie and Her Microscope. Dean Motter wrote it, which we've talked about many times on the show, and then Bill Sinkovich did the art. And my only issue with it is it's, the art is, uh, like, gridded, so there's, like, fucking four panels a line, and then it's four lines tall. So there's just a shitload of dialogue and images there. And I feel like because of that, it's like twice as long as it should be. Yeah, it's pretty packed onto the page. I like the art. Um, the story was okay. I mean, it didn't particularly, it, it didn't move me really one way or another. Okay. Um, a little girl with, uh, what, there's like a plague. Her dad's a researcher. Yes. And she's like, you can't kill the fucking the poor little, little microbe. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, like the art, but it is it is really crowded. Yeah. Um, crowded. That's a good word for it. <laughs> it's fumbling. Well, and like this, uh, this is like the twelve year old in me. But in, in one of the panels, like Mrs. Golden, the housekeeper, her boobs run right into Maggie's head, like thwack, yeah. you know, because they're so tightly compressed in there. And I mean, that stylistically, I, I get it. It's supposed to be like, you know, she's crowding or whatever. I, I understand the reasoning behind all of it. I think Sinkovich is an amazing artist. And I really like the art in it. There's yeah. just, I think it's just too much of everything. Right. And I feel like it needed to be condensed or edited or something. I don't know. 
I just love to see like this artwork maybe in more of a book format and black and white because I think it would look really good on the page. But yeah, it was, it was okay. Um, in that same issue, here's a fun bit of trivia. That same issue, um, story number three by Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Rizzo. They are uh, like Hellblazer all-stars. They, they worked together on Hellblazer for around this. No, I guess it was a little after this in like the early 2000s. They also wrote a series or worked together on a series called Loveless. They're also the creators of 100 Bullets. Yes. So they've done a shitload of work together. But this was a specific story about these like two cops and undercover and blah, blah, blah. One of the characters is named Turo. So that, that's a Hellblazer character. Oh, I didn't even put two and two together. Yeah, in the in the first uh, in his first storyline in Hellblazer called Hard Time, introduces an FBI agent named Turo, who then kind of reoccurs throughout his run on the series until he's killed later on. And uh, yeah, so it was fun to see Agent Turo make his way into another story. That is cool. Yeah, the punchline at the end of the story is the whole thing is like really grim. Yeah. But I, I liked the end. Basically, you guys just have to read it. If you haven't read it, I won't spoil it for you. Just read it. Surprise! Someone gets to come up and go figure. <laughs> like everything in this, it's like uh, it's like the opposite of a Mike Flanagan story. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's nary a happy ending in sight. <laughs> Indeed, probably the one that I wanted to like, but I was like, I don't know, was uh, uh, playing dead. Playing Dead. Bruce Jones and Paul Gulasi? I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't remember which one that was. Oh, that one. I I liked that. It reminded me of... Ah, uh, fuck. Where's my note? I wrote a note about it. It reminded me of something. Playing Dead. Reminded me of The Beguiled. Oh. Have you seen The Beguiled? Yes. Good movie. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of that story. Uh, the original Beguiled starred Clint Eastwood. The remake, I guess it's not a remake, the re-adaptation of the novel uh, stars Colin Farrell and, what's her name? Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman, yeah. Among others. It's a pretty stacked cast. But, uh, and the, the new one was directed by Sofia Coppola, I believe. I believe you're right. I don't remember who wrote the novel. Uh, oh gosh, I don't either. The Be Wild. 1971 film. The novel was written by Thomas Cullinan. Cullinan. Came out in 66. But regardless, that reminded me of that. And I, I, it's one of the, like, you, you see the writing on the wall from the beginning. This crazy woman who's gonna, gonna, uh, assume that that's her husband or whatever. And it also reminded me a bit of, uh, Quigley Down Under. Have you seen that movie? Yes. With the, uh, Laura San Giacomo's character. Yeah. He keeps calling him by the wrong name. He's like, I ain't your husband. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she keeps calling him Roy. Yeah, Roy! Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. Quickly Down Under is a lot more lighthearted, in my opinion. Yeah, there's also the genocide of aboriginals in that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's it's not a kid show by any stretch of the imagination. But there's, I, I kept seeing... It also somewhat reminds me of Incident on... God, I wasn't aware of that. Incident on Owl, Owl Creek Bridge. Ow. Is that what it's called? I don't know if it's... I've, is it a movie? Ah, uh, I'm... I'm pro, uh, an Occurrence on at Owl Creek Bridge. It's a short story by Ambrose Bierce 
that was then in the 60s turned into a short film, which won an Academy Award. Hold on, I'm going to get deep on you in a second. So, <laughs> it was a 1962 short French film. Uh, it won an Academy Award in 1964, I believe. And then shortly after that, it was aired as an episode of The Twilight Zone. Oh. So, like, an episode of Twilight Zone won an Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> and rightfully so. But it reminded me of that. It's this, it's, yeah. it's this story of uh, uh, World War II, Jesus, a... Uh, Civil War soldier who uh, is being hanged on a bridge. And the the movie, like, opens with him being hanged. The rope snaps. He falls into the river, escapes, runs off on his own, gets chased by soldiers. He's, like, trying to survive. It's just constant uh, movement. And then it ends with him uh, meeting his... Trying to get to his, his wife or lover or whatever. And then... It ends with him right as he's getting to her. His eyes snap open, and the uh, hangman's noose tightens. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all his like last few seconds of life as he's imagining escaping and then dead. <laughs> Which is a trope we've seen many times now, but back then, like that was that was a gut punch. <laughs> effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to read that and watch it apparently, so I can have a frame of reference here. I mean, I like the art. The art in Playing yeah. Dead, of course, is really good because it's got good storytellers and artists behind it. Um, I don't know, maybe this is me being too literal, but it's kind of, I guess, the concept of, um, okay, coming at this from a heterosexual perspective, if I was wandering through the woods somewhere and say, um, Idris Elba opened the door to a cabin and was like, you know, hey, Maggie, I've been waiting for you, come on in. And he had this idea that I was his wife and wanted to, you know, uh, well, yeah, just share that relationship. At first I'd probably be like, okay, I can deal with this. Um, the second night when he comes out and says, Hey, you know, time for bed. And he's holding a big ass butcher knife. Yeah. I think at that point I might be like, you know, <laughs> it's been fun. <laughs> well, but you've also got to look at what this character is running from. True. Certain death. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's either certain death or possible death, you know? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, the idea that he is a deserter yeah. and there's a Pawnee out in the woods who won't come near the cabin. Yeah. Um, so he found this perfect little safe space and all he has to do is put up with a crazy woman with a knife. <laughs> Easy peasy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the decisions that you guys have to make. <laughs> it wasn't bad, but I was just kind of like, Meh, I don't know. It wasn't one of my favorites, but I mean, I, I get it from a conceptual level. I understand the reasoning behind it. And the, the I mean, it's, it's a story about madness. He's got his own madness he's dealing with. He does. He does, for sure. And I guess that's what keeps him coming back night yeah. after night. I mean, yeah, I mean, no character in that is clear-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed not. No, no. Um, what did you think of uh, Betrothed? Which one was Betrothed? That was... Uh... Oh, that was the Joe Lansdale one. Yes. Um, let me see. Oh, yeah, I love that one. <laughs> I like that one a lot, too. Fucking weird little dude. So the art in it is by Rick Burchett. But it looks like uh, like Batman the Animated Series. It's like a yeah. Tim Sale style of art. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this dude who's all ready to meet his new wife, and he hopes she doesn't mind that he has been married many times in the past. <laughs> and that he's digging a dead body out of uh, out of a, a freshly buried dead body out of a uh, cemetery. And he specifically, quote, marries the victims of this one serial killer. 
And then he pulls her out and drags her into the street to his car, and then he gets hit by a car, <laughs> who is then revealed to be the serial killer. And I just love the serial killer being like, what a fucking freak. Right, exactly. <laughs> guy's digging up bodies so you can fuck him? What a, what a weirdo. Yeah. Torture and murder is one yeah. thing, but messing with a corpse, you gotta be sick for that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a nice little terrifically dark tale right in yeah. the middle of it. Nice ironic twist ending. Well, it may not twist, but just whatever. It was good. <laughs> it, was. it was. I also, I liked Peeping Tom, or sorry, Peeping Bob in that same issue. One of the issues I have with that, though, is look at the size of the hole he's looking through. That is pretty damn it's as, big It's hole. as big as his goddamn head. It like, is. there's no way that he's hiding. I mean, so it's, all, it's all about this, this, like, handyman that lives in this apartment complex who's spying on his neighbors while they fuck. And then one night he sees the uh, husband or boyfriend or whatever uh, murder the wife or girlfriend uh, with a plastic bag. And then he freaks out and then it turns into a whole sex game. But uh, <laughs> it was it was one of those that like starts off like, oh, God. And then by the end, it's like, oh, that's kind of cute. This, this, this couple that's keeping their love life alive. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> with some light breath play. <laughs> At the end, the wife is like, yeah, you get to play dead this yeah, time. Yeah, your turn. <laughs> As he's freaking out, imagining that his uh, blow-up doll is talking to him. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All because he didn't watch the end of their act. You know, he, like, pulled away when she was, quote, dead. But they, they have to be voyeurs, because there's no way you could look at that hole in the wall, like yeah, I exactly. said, and be like, hey. Yeah. No one can see us. That one, what, uh, that one was by Colin Raff with art by James Romberger. Good stuff. The last one in that issue, Fumes, I wasn't big on. Yeah. The, the guy that was like yeah. getting all the smells. Um, which was, I mean, it was fine, but uh, Mark Hempel did the art for that. He was the artist on The Kindly Ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just like by, I don't know, by like the eighth panel. Like, ah, I see where this is going. I get it. Yeah. I've read, or not read, I've seen the movie Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. <laughs> Actually, I guess I have read that. I take that back. I read that when I was in France. Oh, well, there you go, then. It just reminded me a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I like the art. I think the art is good and weird and creepy. Um, especially, um, oh, uh, the part after he... Where was it? He uh, he gets totally just freaked out by the smell of his toenails and his yeah. fingernails. So he rips his... He starts ripping them out. And then um, on the next page, oh yeah, yeah, here we go. The eco nuts or the chairman of the board or yeah. whatever. I like the way they're drawn, very green, very wan. Sickly. Sickly, yeah. Um, was it, wait, that was Fumes? Oh, never mind, I was thinking of a different issue. Nope, you're right, Fumes. Yeah. yeah. But I, I also liked uh, A Walk in the Park <laughs> from issue three by Scott Cunningham and Marcelo Frugian. That one, uh, I fucking hate this usually where you can't tell who the narrator is because mm-hmm. in the when you're reading the narration like which what character is this it's talking so fucking annoying because then i feel like i'm missing the first chunk until it's revealed but in this one like i actually picked up on it pretty quickly i was like ah, all right i, I dig that and i just i really like marcelo frusian's art in general he was one of i think he was the first artist on hellblazer that i bought like a new issue of like I'd, I'd read old issues and, and uh, oh Christ and um, trade paperbacks and whatnot, but his uh, good intentions storyline with Brian Azzarello was one of the first 
number first new issues I ever bought. And his art is really on point here too. Yeah. Uh, did I? Did you ever show me that one? Uh, what? Good intentions. Yeah. Probably not. That's where John fucks a dog. <laughs> <laughs> then no, you have not shown John, me that I one. I take that back. John gets fucked by a dog. Oh, Excuse yeah. me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Get your bestiality right. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait. Uh, we'll come back to that one, folks. <laughs> And that was like my introduction to this. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's really like weird, psychosexual. Uh, John thinks he's helping someone and he's really just making their life terrible. And it's, uh, oh, and then he gets used for internet content. Uh-huh. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we, we uh, might have to read that one. <laughs> uh, oh, what did you think of, ah, um, oh, what's it called? Um, shit. What do I think of shit? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's needed. <laughs> it's a thing that happens. I, I don't know that I'm a fan of the actual <laughs> item, um, so, so to speak, but, uh, as, is- as far as compulsive needs go, um, it could be worse, <laughs> I guess. But it also depends on the day and diet. <laughs> How much coffee you've had? Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> no the uh, the title on this one is so small. A gift of friendship. Oh, um, that was issue four. Yes, Kent Williams. Kent Williams. Yeah. Um, I let me see my notes. I don't remember that one. <laughs> uh, uh, wait. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the friends on a hunting trip. Yes. I just said uh, it seems like a poorly thought out plan. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like I'm gonna go on a hunting trip with my friend, and only I'm gonna come back. I mean, come on. <laughs> This guy that, that's having a, an affair with his friend's wife, and it's all from like his point of view as he thinks he's luring his friend out in the woods, and then turns out his friend already knows, and that he's going to be killed, and he finds the dead body. I, I didn't. Pick, I thought it was the other way around. I thought, um, I thought uh, uh, his friend was luring him out there because he knew about their affair, and he meant to kill him, but he got wise to it and killed him instead. I don't know, maybe I'm confused on the narrator then, because, <laughs> I mean, they look the same, and the big reveal is that there's the dead body of the wife. Right. And, I don't know, one of them is gonna be left there, and the other one's going home. And it, regardless, it's still a poorly thought out plan, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. people are gonna know. Right, right. Either way, yeah. I did really appreciate the art, though. It, um, you know, they're out in the snow. It looks like somewhere, maybe in Alaska or the Yukon or what have you, and it does look very just bitterly cold. Reminds me of a short story I read when I was a kid called The Interlopers. Sounds familiar. About people like stuck in a similar ar- Arctic situation, trying to survive as they're like attacked by wolves. Okay, that'll do it. Was it good? I read it when I was in like eighth grade, and yeah, it was awesome. I know everything about it. <laughs> I'm sure it was good. I mean, it was enough that I've remembered it. Yeah, there you go. Which is more than I can say for most things that are forced upon you in or middle school. Good point. Good point. I wonder if that's even like. I wonder if that's a real story. <laughs> like, I wonder. I wonder if that's like a well-known story. Maybe. No, it's not this. This is something about the assassination of Martin Luther King. Oh. Uh, the in, Interlopers. I'm not seeing like short story pop up. So, ah, Christ. No, no. There's, there's a 
comment about it, <laughs> but I don't <laughs> see that it, I don't know, whatever. It was, I remember it being good, but it doesn't really have anything to do with this other than the setting and just the sense of inevitability, I guess. Well, you know how stories connect in your brain, what it reminds you of. Tim, wait, which which story did Tim Truman do? It may not, oh, it's later. It's one that we didn't read. I was just reading that Tim Truman said of his story called Br'er Hoodoo that it was, quote, the best art I've done in any single comic story. I did it with Joe for Vertigo's Flinch. There you go. He, it was a story that he did with Joe Lansdale from, I think, issue 13. I I I felt and again this just may be me coming at this right now where I'm just not in a mood in the mood to read at all. <laughs> this last last week and a half or so have just been fucking crazy for me and I just haven't been wanting to read. Um so like it was a little bit of a chore to get through these, but I still really like this series and I still think it's a vertigo. I agree. Yeah, there's uh just plenty I mean if you don't like one then there's plenty more in there that you probably will like, you know, depending on your artistic preferences and yeah. story and whatnot. But no, it's a it's a great way to uh, open the Halloween season. I again read it any time, but the great thing about Halloween is that you know we actually get to celebrate the the weird shit that we yeah. like. <laughs> and it's a it's a great series for just finding a random issue of like you don't need to have the whole series to enjoy it, right? It, uh, you know, in one issue, where you've got three stories that don't have any connection to anything. So, you know, you could just conceivably uh, stumble upon your f- next favorite story. Right, Just exactly. by finding, you know, issue four, or 14. Yeah, issue 14. <laughs> it only ran for 16 issues. That was a bad choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just stumble upon issue 14 and flinch and find an amazing story. So, whatever. It is a, uh, an anthology that I wish that they hadn't ended in 2001. I wish that they had kept doing it. Maybe not continuously, but every once in a while, throw out a new one. Yeah. Uh, Vertigo's been doing other anthologies since then, like their Ver- Vertigo Quarterly and that whole fucking color scheme one, black, yellow, pink, whatever oh, it was. Yeah. Black, yellow, magenta. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> the one that had the final Sweet Tooth storyline in it. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, they do do other anthologies. I just really, like you were saying earlier, and uh, I can't remember what episode that was where we talked about this. I think we were discussing like our our favorite vertigos. vertigos. Yeah. I'll I'll find the link and I'll put it on our Instagram. Um, but yeah, just the the cover is fantastic and it pulls you right in. And if you can't find something in here you like, then I don't know what to do for you. Wait for the next issue. Exactly. Um, which, uh, God damn it. I thought it was issue six. I think it's issue five. There's actually an ad for their other anthology series at this time called Weird... Weird Science? Weird Sci-Fi? No, I can't remember the name of it. Weird Tales? Something that has to do with weirdness. Weird... <laughs> weird Wonderland? <laughs> God damn it. Hold on. Issue... No... No. Detroit Rock City? There's an ad for Detroit Rock City. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. God damn it. Uh, Strange Adventures. Oh, okay. Yeah. There are other, uh, like, their sci-fi anthology series. Okay. Which was only a miniseries, but um, I think it had bigger issues. More goodies out there. Anyway, yeah, so Flanch is a big vertigo. Give it a read. Here, here. Oh, I'm sorry. We got to go back a little ways. I forgot to mention Nice Neighborhood. Written oh, by, yeah. Yeah. Jen Van Meter and Frank Quitely did the art. I wrote uh, 
Viagra makes old dudes crazy? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I find the notion of, like, gangs of old men raging out on dick pills and steroids to be actually kind of scary. <laughs> uh, you know, one good shove and you're fine. Just knock him out. I, I don't know. I... I felt from. like I felt like it needed some more, some more uh, story fleshing out because it was like it was one of those like yeah that's an interesting thought experiment but just the reality of it like again a bunch of dudes on walkers with raging hard ons like just trip them and run away I, why is that scary well, you can't <laughs> deny that it's gruesome at least yeah exactly I mean I, you know the art's good and I like Frank Quitely I just wish there was a little more to that me too uh, it reminded me of like a story that would have been in twenty twenty visions just oh. longer. Yeah. Instead of three pages, three issues. Yeah, there, I guess that's my only criticism of this book is that there are some stories that you wish that they had more to them before they ended. But that's a light criticism. Speaking of, the end. <laughs> no, that, would, that would have been a good note to go out on. <laughs> it would have been. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, so yeah, we're at the end of the show now. Um, like and subscribe. Uh, make sure to write a five-star review. It's been a while, and we need them. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Vertigo Voices. Uh, I guess at Vertigo Voices at both of those. Uh, email vertigovoices at gmail.com. Since this is October, we're going to be doing some more Halloween stuff, so stay tuned. It'll be good. Probably. Well, It'll probably be good. I think our taste is good, so... <laughs> well, I I know... <laughs> I know my taste is good. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean it's going to be a good show. <laughs> have faith. Anyway, thanks uh, for hanging out, guys. Um, Ted McKeever's faith. Look that up. I, I will. It's a vertigo comic. It doesn't matter. Goodbye! <laughs>